politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Jill Schlesinger. Adam Levin, how are you? I'm so good. Oh my gosh, between the two of you, the FM voices are killing me. (laughs) Hi guys. Hey there. Hello. Hey, hi Jill. Hi white men, how are you doing today? Feeling very white, thank you. I know. (laughs) Feeling white and entitled, I appreciate that. I am. Ah yes, I've got the beard and everything. Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam, cyber financial truth seeker. I'm Bo, cyber noun. I'm Travis, cyber bindlebum. What is that? Come on, it's a dude with a sack on a stick. Like an Oki in a John Steinbeck novel, you know. Well, today on the show, we talk with Jill Schlesinger about following your career dreams and the risks that come with financial change. I'm excited, and I know Bo and Travis are excited, because we have a fabulous guest today. Extremely. I've known Jill for a long time. It's true. It's true. We have. We know each other from way back. It's good. She knew me from before the beard, and then when I had the beard. And and before the wife. That's right. Before the wife. So we've known each other a long time. We've done a lot of stuff together, consumer stuff together. I mean, Jill is like the consumer advocate finance wizard. She was the editor-in-large at CBS Money Watch. I'm going to brag on you here a little. She has a nationally syndicated radio show, which won a whole bunch of awards as Best National Talk Show. She has a weekly podcast. She's won Emmy Awards for her work she does on TV. Oh, my God. Your first book, Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money, 13 Ways to Right Your Financial Wrongs. That was like a big deal. And that was published in 2019, right? Yeah, and I think you're mentioned in that book, by the way, I believe. Um, I think I pulled some fabulous soundbite that you gave me when you were on my podcast or my radio show. And also, full disclosure, early days when people were first starting to get hacked, Adam had been on one of our CBS broadcasts, and I had interviewed you. I don't know if you remember this. So one of the things I suggest to people that will help you, that will cut down on the time that you have to suffer through this, is find out if you have a damage control program. And you may have it through your insurance, through your bank, your credit union. This has got to be like 10, 12, maybe even 15 years ago. That's when I was 17, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You were 13. He just had his bar mitzvah. He looked so good. Um, And so I call him up and I said, listen, you don't know me, but uh, I just interviewed you and I think my father just gave up all of his personal information and now he has full-blown like been hacked 
And awkward. It was so great because Adam's like, I'll call him right now. Now, you guys have to understand, my dad was like tough-ass trader. He was uh, on the floor of the American Stock Exchange his whole career. And, you know, he's kind of a tough guy. And he says to me, something very strange has happened. I said, how do you know? He said, well, my accountant called me and he said, Al, I don't know if for the first time in your life, did you, someone's claiming that you got a refund. And that flagged the IRS because Mm -hmm. you've never in 40 years claimed a refund ever. And so my father's identity was stolen and Adam took his hand and left me out of it in that wonderful way that he has and said, I will take care of this for you. And so I will forever be grateful for that. And my father now is dead like nine and a half years. And it was like one of those like quite indelible about how kind you were during that period of time for me. Well, thank you. And you've always been in my world, a superstar. So anyway, thank you for those kind words. And uh, we know that as we speak, your book, Hot Off the Presses, is out there. The book is called The Great Money Reset. The subtitle is Change Your Work, Change Your Wealth, Change Your Life. And, you know, look, this was such a strange time because I, uh, as you guys said, you know, my day job is I work for CBS News and I work on television and radio. And I also have a podcast and a radio show. And part of those shows would be having really smart guests on like Adam and other people where would just like be able to have me do a deeper dive than I could in a three minute segment on network TV or radio. And then when I launched my show, the other aspect of it is I'd have these smart guests and then I would answer financial questions. And then amid the pandemic, because everyone was so nuts and just really um, uptight about what was going on, um, we sort of, my producer, Mark Talercio and I had this idea, like, well, maybe we better start doing more frequent podcasting because we have so many questions. Like he said, the email inbox is insane. Like people are freaking out. So instead of going from two days a week, we started doing five days a week and then we had and seven days a week. We literally were on the air every single day Wow! and just answering questions. And, you know, in the beginning, it was just like everyone freaking out and scared. OK, we all went through that. We all felt that uh, later, like a couple of months in something really fascinated, fascinating started to happen. People were asking very different kinds of questions, the kinds of questions that I would get every once in a blue moon previously. You know, like I just got divorced and my husband, my wife just walked out of me and he just restart my whole life and I don't know where to go or a sudden death. Those, you know, that would usually be the prompt. But the pandemic really got everybody thinking, is this really how I want to live? And if it's not, how do I get to where I want to go? And what I really began to understand is that what I was doing all those days And what I still do is help people have a framework to help them understand their choices. Because when you're doing a reset in your life, your big life, right, you have to use your money um, and you have to have financial resilience. You want to maximize the opportunities that are open up to you down the road. But the reality is that, you know, I realized that this period of time caused many people of all different types, of all different means to really re-examine their lives. And um, I felt like money is the vehicle and it certainly gives you a tangible means of approaching and understanding your intangible feelings, but you still have to deal with it. So I wrote the book as almost like an homage to all the people who had been calling the show amid the pandemic. 
what are some of the uh, biggest lessons you learned? I think that whenever whenever I have a conversation, if you called me, Travis, and said, you know, oh, I'm really sick of Adam. I really want to do something else. <laughs> I, I really, I can't stand this. You mean he hasn't and done it already? <laughs> it might be. Give me a half hour. Um, and, and, you know, it, if that were the case, I would often start a conversation with almost a, a like, very baseline, where are you today? And what I mean by that is that when you want to reset to someplace new, you really have to understand where you are. It means that you have to take a good hard look at some of the things you may not want to look take a good hard look at. In the book, I call it the Fabulous Five because, you know, I'm really very campy and I like to name things like that. And so the Fabulous Five are making sure that you analyze your resources, right? So what are the resources? What do you own? What's your income? All of your income and really take into account pretty much everything. What do you owe? What are your liabilities? What's your housing situation? How much are you spending right now? You're not, not cutting anything, but what are you spending money on? And what obligations or what promises have you made to yourself, to family members, to your kids, to your spouse, to your parents? You know, have you said to your kids, of course, you can go to private university? Well, you can't un undo that promise because you're having a freak out. You really have to think long and hard about what those obligations mean. Once you have that good, hard look at where you are, it will help you take smarter, more thoughtful, and I think more nuanced risks. Okay, so I'm screwed. <laughs> You're stuck with Adam. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And I raise you a middle-aged man with a mortgage, a child in a university, public university, but still, mm -hmm. and a oh, renovation. Wow. What's that, Adam? Go blue. Oh, that was totally <laughs> germane to what I was talking about, being stuck with you. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm curious, Jill, how do you deal with, do you just say that? Like, you're like, well, Bo, I hear that you have this much debt, you know, a house included in that, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you pretty much should keep your job. Well, I, I mean, first of all, it presumes that you actually want to do something different because mm -hmm. maybe you don't. I don't. Uh, I actually I love mean, my Adam. You know oh. what I'm saying? <laughs> I think that when, when I'm talking about this, it, it is usually because somebody is coming in and, and I'll give you an example. You know, so I tell a lot of stories in the book. So I, I had this lovely couple. She was a nurse. He was a um, physical therapist. And, you know, obviously it's pretty intense having that job amid COVID. And you would think they called me because they're like, oh, we're burnt out and we just want to do something different. But the real the, the impetus to what they were trying to do when they were having their reset was they were in their late 50s. They had put their kids through school, but they had assumed the debt to put their kids through school. Mm -hmm. This woman was in the operating room. She was an operating room nurse. And she said that the doctors were talking about this is, you know, end of 21. Wow. You know, it's Pittsburgh. Do you know, oh, the real estate market's going crazy. By the way, this is what they're talking about when you're in the operating room. <laughs> I just want everyone to realize that, okay? And they said, well, the real estate market's going bananas, basically. Uh -huh. And, you know, so she uh, went home. She called up a friend of hers who's a realtor. And she goes, well, you know, the doctors I work with, these guys, I've known them forever. They said, is this true? Like, is the real estate market really going crazy? Remember, you know, we who are in the financial industry might be thinking about that all the time. But this was not being well reported early on in the pandemic. It wasn't a big thing. 
And the realtor said, yeah, you know, like I, I could probably get, I don't remember what the exact number was, but I'll, I'll give you a round number. Yeah, that, the, the house that you think is worth 450 I bet I could get six. Yeah. And they got, so she said to her husband, we're selling the house. He says, what are you talking about? We have no place to live. And she said, if we sell this house right now for this money, I will rent for a while. We can pay off all of our debt. I'm so exhausted. I'm so scared of living under the weight of this debt. We can pay off the mortgage. We can pay off. We have that credit card debt. We can pay off the student loans and we can put money in the bank. And then I don't have to feel like I'm working a hundred hours a week just to service debt. Uh-huh. And that was their great reset that they essentially found. They went into a very long-term Airbnb situation. They had money in the bank. She said, I could work longer, meaning more years if I didn't have to work as many hours every week. And I thought that was a fascinating recognition on her part, which was, I like what I do. I don't like doing it 100 hours a week. She was working all this overtime to service her debt. Without the debt, she could still work, enjoy her job, put money into her retirement account, have the hospital match her contributions, live their lives, downscale a little bit of their spending, not a lot, and they are so happy. Like I got in touch with everybody when I was finishing the book and they're like, yeah, we're not buying a house. We're never buying a house again. I'm, I'm having like when Harry met Sally vibes, I'll have what she had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that is, that's a really great story. And the only coda I have for you, Jill, is that I, we bought this house in the height of COVID. So. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Can I just, can, all right, can we have like a no, therapy session real, for a no, second? Real talk, real talk. Go ahead. Yep. What was the interest rate on your mortgage? Bingo. Yeah, I'm paying half of what people are paying now. More than half. I'm in the twos. Okay. So to be clear, your reset may have been that you reached to buy a house and what you now believe is the wrong time. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't. Who cares? But, right. you, we, but you did so with an affordable mortgage and you did so understanding certain obligations. And maybe because you have that low mortgage interest rate, you will be afforded different options down the road. Maybe you'll say to yourself, you know, I don't have to kill myself working. Maybe I could work longer, hold on to this mortgage. The payment is affordable. I mean, really the reset isn't about like, I just want to sell everything and go to Bora Bora. It's not the fire movement. It's not financial independence, retire early. It's I want to feel better about my life and feel more in control of it. And maybe your control is having a mortgage rate in the twos that you never have to worry about for 28 more years. Interesting. So what is another example of a reset? I think one of the best resets, frankly, was my own reset. Yeah, yeah. Let me talk about myself. Please do. Jesus. Uh, nobody really wants please, to hear. I mean, please. I'll give you the example of my own reset and why I think it's sort of instructive. There are a lot of people like me who came up through financial services and you know that, Adam, you know a zillion people like this. Like, you know you're not a genius. You're in the right industry at the right time. You make a few bucks and nobody I know, I mean, who really is honest with themselves, oh, I'm such a smart financial planner. Oh, I'm such a brilliant this. But you know, mostly you're lucky. You're in the right industry at the right time and you're making a few bucks. And I was a first a commodities ex trader on the floor of the commodities exchange. I traded gold, silver, and copper options. And then I was a financial planner and a money manager. And I was you know, a certified financial planner. I did it for 14 years. I, at the end, I owned a company and I really was a very unhappy owner. And I knew that. And so a series of things happened that led me to say, hey, I'd sold my company. 
was doing earning out of a, a contract that, of the acquiring company. I didn't sell it for life-changing money. I sold it because I was like, I need a way out. And so I got out. And I left a lot of money on the table, frankly. And it and my father used to say to me, it's the best trade you ever made because you were miserable at the end. Mm-hmm. And and so, which is always easy to say if you come from a family with a few bucks like I do. So I, I that is clear also. So I'm lucky, grew up with money, have a family with money, not dumb money, but like very comfortable existence. I never had to worry that I had like no safety net. I always had a safety net. But what I realized uh, was that I, the part of my job that I loved was the marketing of the firm. And the actual like meeting with a client in the moment, giving financial advice, but the ongoing client service was awful. It was exhausting. And I didn't have a great personality for it because I got very overly involved and overinvested if people uh, didn't follow my advice. So I'd get very upset if someone said, you know, if Bo said, well, thank you for your advice. I'm going to do, I'm going to keep smoking anyway, doctor. Like it, <laughs> I, it hurt me. Like I just, I was not good at that. I couldn't take that. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the radio and on television as a guest, and I wanted to try to make it. So I have this dear friend, Maureen, and I was telling her all about this. She was in the world of media, and she says, oh, you need a pink notebook. I said, a what? She says, you know, a pink notebook. And she said, this is really a way for you to think about what your next phase is going to be. It's like a special journal. You capture what you're thinking. You you write down in different sections, like, let me write about what are the money ramifications of a move? What are the, who are the people I want to talk to about what the next move might look like? What would it mean to be in media? Should I just go talk to every single person whose show I ever appeared on? I got this notebook as a, as an organizing and motivational way of keeping me on track. You know, it's really about organization focus and motivation for me. And then I built out the Fabulous Five, which was easy for me because I'm a money person. The harder part for me was to start to say, well, I need a different, I really do need sort of a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. I need to know if this does not work, what would I do next? If this works in a mid-case scenario, what would I do? If this works in the worst case, if it doesn't work at all, it's the worst case, what would I do? And that's how I made my leap. So when I think about like the leaps that people make, it's okay to take small steps. I interviewed this woman who's got like a very kind of a cool dating app. And uh, she said, you know, it's like my side hustle. And it's okay to like dip your toe in the water and then sort of slowly build a plan going forward. So that to me is the instructive way of thinking about like a reset, which is I'm in a career. I know I can make money in that career. I'm fundamentally not happy doing this for the rest of my life. Could I have a different career that would allow me to be happier, maybe not make as much money because there's no way I would make as much money, but I, I would be able to do it longer and I'd feel fulfilled and I didn't need all that money because it, it was irrelevant anyway. Because if you're miserable and you're making the money, it doesn't matter. Everybody knows somebody like that. Right. So I think that having an organizing principle, whether it's a pink notebook, whether it is spreadsheets, but it's some methodical way to go through a process and ask yourself questions and keeping almost kind of keeping a journal of what becomes important to you. Sort of like a storyboard for a writer almost, but it's exactly yep. Exactly. A storyboard for your life. Thank you. 
Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Joe, what you shared about these resets is really interesting stuff. And it's so important to talk about because so many people are doing it. You shared some of the benefits of a reset, but let's take a look at some of the risks. Now, I'm a guy that thinks a lot about fraud. You and I have talked for years about fraud. And I got to believe that while people are attempting their resets, they could be sitting ducks for fraudsters. I think there are plenty of... Okay, so here's the difference between um, like the fundamental framework and, and grabbing hold of something yourself versus chasing a dream. So I think that there are people who are dreamers who don't want to commit to a process. I don't know about you, Adam. I think those are the particular types of people who may find themselves prey for the scam artist. Get out of my head, Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me. Jill, you're now renting room in in Bo's head. (laughs) No, no, no. She can stay. She's a guest. But yeah, I think that's right, Jill. There's There's... the dream that is work-free is a scammer's paradise. Right? And, and, and the idea, get rich quick, is obviously a scammer's paradise. It's almost like I have a worry that, while it may not be a scam, like I think the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early, caught on as a way for people to feel like I am in control of my destiny. Okay? That's really what it became. It was coming out of the financial crisis, A lot of the tech bros were like, hey, man, I'm making a few hundred thousand dollars a year, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. If I live like a monk for 10 years and I squirrel away my money, screw the man, I can do what I want. And 
I, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the, the biggest problem is that like, you know, you think you're going to retire forever. And when you're 40 and Adam and I will be happy to tell you that there are many things that happen from age 40 on that you'd be sh- shocked to learn. <laughs> it's so true. It's a really, it's like a rolling marquee. It's shocking. <laughs> but the thing that's amazing is that I remember interviewing some of the people, some of the younger people who were part of the movement and they were willing to do the work, but it was weird. It was almost like, like, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to be like stuck working for the man. I'm like, but you're living out of one suitcase and you're young. What happens when you have a kid? Like, what are you what is your like organizing thesis on what your life is going to be? You're going to travel around the world forever for 40 years? Like maybe. But like there is something about this idea of like, I want to be free and unencumbered. That's great. But there are obligations in your life and your life is likely to change. So I think the scamming part of this always comes in, you know, Adam and I've talked about this a zillion times about like even just investments and, and it, it, and we have an an environment of social media and platforms that can spread the kind of scammy stuff that we saw our whole lives in a more efficient way. I mean, Adam, you remember like early wall street was like the newsletter. Like subscribe to Joe's newsletter. Joe will make you be rich and you can just subscribe to Joe's newsletter and follow these investment tips. And they were sort of like either fronts to just sell newsletter subscriptions or like weird bucket shops. (laughs) It was very strange. Or you, and, got, um, you, you got the feeling, too, that they were promoting things that they might have an interest in that you get all excited about. And then, you know they would disappear. You'd still be stuck with this thing. They would have made money and you didn't. Exactly. And I think that people who want to reset in a more, in a deeper way, I think what they're understanding is that if, I mean, this is why I try to make a distinction between a dreamer and someone who really wants to reset. Someone who wants to reset is not just dreaming. That person is taking action and that person is taking the steps necessary, asking questions about what it is that is going to propel that person ahead. You know, I have a whole chapter in the book about education. Hmm. So whose who's kid's going to Michigan? That would be my child. So, like, it's expensive. School's expensive. Hmm. I had my school paid for, which was amazing. And I'm not sure it was worth it. I'm just saying, like, I'm sorry, mom and dad, but, like, I'm not sure it was worth it. It was great to get the degree. I'm just not sure it was worth it because in my previous book, one of the things I would say is that like, it's strange that we spend so much money on education where a lot of, I think it makes a ton of sense if you, the parent don't have a network who can help your kid. But if you're spending gobs and gobs of money for a non name brand liberal arts school, then, you know, I'm not sure what you get out of that. I mean, I had a name brand school and I'm not sure what I got out of it. I really, I mean, I don't know. I really don't. Yep. Because guess what? I didn't need that degree. So I went to work for the Commodities Exchange and I, all right, so I got that job, not because of Brown University. I got that job because my summers I spent clerking for my uncle on the New York Stock Exchange, my father on the American Stock Exchange. Someone wanted to throw a bunch of kids on the Commodities Exchange. They saw me and said, oh, you are you interested in this program? And I went and did it. Mm-hmm. And so- Honestly, I didn't need a college degree to do that. But that said, when I got down to the exchange, I remember I had this young trader from Chicago who's an options trader, super smart math head. 
And he's like, no, you went to Brown University. Where did, Where is that, in Long Island? That's what he's, you want that in Long Island? I said, well, it's actually Rhode Island. Mm. And, oh, whatever. What is that? Is that like the Ivy League? And I said, yeah. He goes, you know what? You can stick that Ivy League degree up your ass down here. And that was true. No, that and that is true. That is 100%. But I am guessing you're going to approve of a decision that we made, which is I have an older daughter. She's 21 years old. She went to college for all of one semester. Then COVID hit, and she decided during COVID she didn't want to go to college because she didn't need to go to college because her parents did have a network that would work for what she wanted to do. And she mm -hmm. is now the visual merchandiser for an international company at 21. That's so cool. Right. That is so freaking cool. So here's the interesting thing. So I found this, I started thinking about this chapter because amid COVID, education got a rethink. It right. really did, sure right? Did. So parents were like, this is kind of a scam. If this is what college is, and this is like what my kids, that's what the class is, mm -hmm. this is kind of scammy, <laughs> right? Yep. So Adam, I, you have, do you have a multiple, do you have a master's or anything like that? What, what's your, what are your graduate degrees, Adam? Uh, uh, law degree, JD. You have a law degree. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so like, I feel like it's a little different with a law degree. Like if you want to practice to be an attorney, you have to go get a law degree. Right. right? Yep. But there are a lot of people who are like, well, I want to get an MBA. And I was like, mm, no I mean, it's it's great if you want to be an investment banker and you want to go to Stanford or Harvard or Wharton or Chicago, like this top tier of like five or six or eight schools. Right. Awesome. Do it. But are there other ways to do this? And specifically what I was really but I was really thinking about as I would walk through these conversations is what do you gain by this degree? Like I was, then I was like, wait, there are three specific questions that I want people to ask themselves. Number one, what are you gaining? What skills are you getting? What knowledge are you getting? What credential are you going to get by going back to school? And how will your career benefit? Right before COVID, my nephew and his wife were coming to visit me, and um, it was so nice. We were chatting. He's he's like the guy who has had like a very fancy undergraduate education and two lovely graduate degrees. Some partially paid for by an employer, but none of neither of the two graduate degrees did him any good in terms of money. Like, okay, you've got knowledge. So he was given a project at like right at the beginning of COVID, and he was like, "Oh my God, I think I really like to code." So he's like, maybe I will go and get a master's. And then he said, wait. And so he did a bunch of research. He found this certificate program, like a boot camp, almost like a coding boot camp, which can be scammy, by the way. So he did a lot of work in that. And the deal was that he spent 15 months, not that much money, a few thousand dollars. And the deal with a code company is we get 24% of your first year salary and then we go away. Okay. Wow, wow. It's a wild, it's an amazing, I think it's a kind of a cool concept. You know me, cause I like revenue share. <laughs> I think right. that's like, all right, good. You're going to get me a job. This guy went from making about 70, $75,000. First job after coding camp was 220. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Paid, right, right. paid his 24% to the company. Thank them. Loves it has a career now where he's making significant six figures to all the upside in the world. 
And he didn't take two years out of the workforce. He did it while he was doing, he did his coding camp as he was doing another job. He kind of kept it as like almost like two jobs. Like one was a side hustle, one was a job. And he made a gorgeous transition. And that to me is like a really smart decision. I doubted it in the moment because I didn't know anything about it. I was more of like the Adam Levin, like, let me be skeptical about this company. Well, yeah. So I did look it up and it looks, you know, it looked legit and it is legit. But I think that if you're curious and skeptical and you don't let your optimism cloud you over, you're usually going to be able to protect yourself. Curious and skeptical. I like it. I think that this topic is is fascinating and, you know, and it really could just we could we could expand all over the place. I thought it was worth pointing out though, 24%. It's not much. It's it's less than you would pay if you had an agent and a manager. Right. You know what? That's right. That's right. And they're placing you. The confidence that they have is we don't need your money up front for the schooling. We want where we know we can get you where you need to go. Yeah, we want your work. Cool. Well, the important thing also that you've always conveyed in all of your presentations, whether they be radio, television, podcast, writing, is the fact that you, as you said, you need to be skeptical and you need to make sure that you're going to the source and not believing something that somebody else tells you about something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, curiously skeptical, right? Curiosity and skepticism are lovely bedfellows. And you know, listen, because of my training, of just sort of how I came up in the business world, I tend to look at the worst case scenario first. Always, always, okay? Me too. Um, it also may be called being a Northeastern Jew. I was going to say, I thought that it was, yeah. <laughs> that's not why Adam does it. This, you guys have different reasons. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so part of it is, that my father's like you're eating like the nazis are in yonkers like you're eating so fast that like that you're about to be invaded so the thing that i think is helpful with that is that when you're considering a reset it is good to look at the downside because once you contemplate that you are then giving yourself the freedom to see if you can do it or not and if since i am the most skeptical uh worrywart it is good to have that as a, it's really good to have that as a centerpiece of a reset because it can temper your optimism or your um, looking at the bright side. And once you've looked at like these three scenarios, like in the best case, I would do this. In the middle case, I do this. In the worst case, this is what would happen. And you have a plan A, B, and C, then I think it gives you the permission structure to yourself to move forward. I couldn't do it without that permission structure. I just know myself. So when I was doing my reset and I was leaving financial planning and investment management and trying to make it in media, having the ability to sketch out what the three different scenarios looked like and what I thought I could do and preparing for each of those scenarios was incredibly important to me. No, and I think that the the analogy with what we do in terms of fighting scams and Consumer protection is all about the concept of don't immediately click on that link. Don't open the attachment. Stop and think about it and think logically, why would I get this? And then why would I want to do this? And should I do this? You know, I I have to say that when when you say it that way, it makes so much sense. And it also makes sense in 
almost every single financial decision when you put it that way, Adam, because if somebody says to you who's selling you a financial product or a service gives you this whole sales pitch and then you come to it with that set of questioning, why is this right for me? What is this person getting out of it? I don't know. I think that can probably save people a lot of anxiety down the line. I really do. Well, it's one of the biggest things we've seen, too, is that uh, with a lot of the scams we've come across, it's something that it sounds too good to be true. But people who are looking for a transition in their lives, I think, will often leap at the opportunity without actually giving it due diligence ahead of time. It is true. It's like the get rich quick, the dreamer, the optimist can really fall prey to it. Well, I think it's also Jack Kennedy once said, things don't just happen. Things are made to happen. Mm, that's that is it is true. And and. You know, you didn't just get scammed. You probably played a part in it. It's okay. You can open your eyes and say, yeah, I did that. That was dumb. I won't do that again. I'll listen to Adam. Well, it's like, don't throw good money after bad. Yeah. Joe, this has been incredibly awesome. What's the best way for people to get a copy of your book? The very best way is for people to go to the website, jillonmoney.com. They can order the book there from any of their favorite booksellers. That's great. Because if someone calls you saying, boy, have I got a deal for you on the new book by Jill Schlesinger, hang up the phone. (laughs) Anyway, Jill, we can't thank you enough. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Bye, Jill. Jill, good luck with your book, The Great Money Reset. It's available wherever books are sold. We're going to include a link in our show notes. Thanks. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't, like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, with Jill's book, what it really made me think of is, ay, 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 next time I have a dream, I'm going to storyboard it. Or put it in a pink notebook. 
Listen, it's always great to have a dream. It really is. But sometimes, in order to make that dream a reality, you really have to put a lot of work into it. And if you don't, chances are decent that you're being scammed. There's really no easy way, and there's no real blueprint. No, but the, what was interesting is even where she said the company with the coder, the coding school seemed a little scammy, 24% is chump change to pay for a career. That's not impressive, certainly. Yep. It's a good, it's a good business model. It's a great business model. And, you know, it's worth pointing out, an agent's going to take 15%, a manager takes 10, that puts you at 25. So you're doing a point better. Yep. The uh, coding boot camps are uh, pretty rife with uh, scams, unfortunately. So if you do come across one that seems too good to be true, do your homework. Mm -hmm. But if you come across one that seems like it's offering a good shot at a decent future, you know, again, do your homework. Right. And another piece of advice I would give, if you're thinking about what you want to do in life, one great career path is cybersecurity. Over the next few years, there are going to be millions of jobs that are looking desperately for people who are cybersecurity experts, and we have millions less people who are actually trained and ready to be that expert. Yeah, it's in demand, and there's been an acute shortage for a very long time. That's really the better way of putting it. <laughs> so, Adam, can I have a job? You have a job. I want a job in cybersecurity. You have a job in cybersecurity. You're a cybersecurity educator. And now it's time for our tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe online. So what do you have for us today, you lollipop-licking octopus? Well, Bo, mon ami, it's a new year. <laughs> Tax season is approaching. Tax yeah. season. Indeed. Yeah, don't remind me. Well, it already is tax season, people. Okay, tax season is here, and as far too many people find out the hard way, tax returns are one of the most common forms of identity theft. What are they going after? The refunds or something? Adam? Uh, well, actually, they are. <laughs> okay, fine. And I assume that they are able to do it the same way I'm able to do it, by using my social security number, which is in the wind because of certain leaks that won't be mentioned that might be called TransUnion. Uh, I think it was Equifax. God yep. Don't yes. say TransUnion. <laughs> Equifax was a big one, but there are a million other data breaches out there that also could have leaked to your social security number. All right. Well, here's the deal. My social security number is in the wind, which is why I was so bitter just a second ago. And I do know how to protect myself. But Adam, I bet a lot of our listeners don't. How do they do it? You can get an identity protection PIN, and that's an IP PIN from the IRS. It's a six-digit code that prevents someone from filing a tax return in your name. Well, okay, that's useful. If you're filing your taxes at the last minute, it's kind of crucial. And I've done it. I will tell you, it is super easy and not a hard thing to do. If you have your credit frozen, you got to unfreeze it. That's the only thing you got to bear in mind. Yeah, and the main thing, too, is that if you wait too long or procrastinate to file your taxes, it's really just giving identity thieves a head start. So even if you're planning on filing late or getting an extension or anything like that, you're still going to want to get an IP pin just to protect it. Now, hold on, Adam. Before you tell people where to go, I just want to add that if you get the pin code, it doesn't matter when you file. You can file, you know, two years from now, you're still safe. But you need that pin because nobody can file without that number. Adam? Tell them how to do it. 
go to the IRS website, which is irs.gov. Now, you're going to have to verify yourself. But once that's done, you can have that extra piece of protection, which makes Bo feel so comfortable. And he should well, feel comfortable. Well, but, but, but also, just remember, you have to unfreeze your credit and that the PIN is only valid for a year. You need a new one every year. And once you have a PIN, please don't give it to somebody else other than your accountant or your spouse. The IRS will never ask for it. If you are giving it to your accountant, get on the phone and make sure it's your accountant who's asking for it because you never know. This time of year, someone might know who your accountant is and they might spoof that person's email. And if by some chance you give it to your spouse, make sure you guys aren't fighting at the time you do. <laughs> but also if you get a uh, SMS text or anything like that that's asking for it, just never, ever, ever do it. It's 100% a scam. We've done it to death, guys. That's the tinfoil swan this week. How's that? Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please share an episode with a friend and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people find the show. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media, produced by Andrew Stephen. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.